out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. For more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith. Certified Financial Planner and CEO of Seattle-based Empirical Wealth Management. My co-host, Ethan Broga, joins me once again today. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Good to see you. Good to be here. This show is designed to teach you prudent investment and financial strategies to help you preserve, grow, and enjoy your capital. Live a more fulfilled life by getting your finances under control help you make a lifetime of smart decisions. Is that what we're all about here, Ethan? I think it's well said. Great. Thanks for joining the show. If you want to give us a call, uh, reach out to us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or send us an email at contact at empiradio.com. That's contact at empiradio.com. And you may be wondering, why would I do that? Uh, <laughs> um, why would you do that, Ethan? Well, probably a couple reasons. Uh, more than one, maybe many, maybe many reasons. Uh, if you have a financial-related question, we'd love to actually read it on the air and and uh, discuss it between the two of us and come up with a, a reasonable answer to a question that might uh, be posed. Or if you're looking for some help, you can feel free to give us a call. We'd love to take the time to get to know you a bit and, and help you with your, your situation if you're looking for either a point in time or ongoing help. And uh, obviously, we, as in the past, if you're an investment professional looking for uh, to partner up with a, a well-established firm with a very good track record, um, we'd love to hear from you as well. Now that sounds great. Give us a call. Give us a shout. Sounds good. Well, Ethan, we were uh, both traveling last week. That's right. It's good to be back. It's nice to be back in town. Yeah. Where, you were, uh, where were you, Ken? You were uh, in California, right? Yeah, I went to California, one of the uh, uh, companies that we um, use and invest uh, money in um, at a conference, and I wanted to go and participate. So it was, it was reasonably nice. Uh, what, um, where was that in California? It was in Santa, Santa Monica. Oh, I see. Yeah, which I like. It's a nice place. Definitely. Um, you know, I... You know, you mentioned it, Ethan. I I, I want to express an ongoing frustration. And on this show, we want to we want to share everything, um, <laughs> right? 
But, uh, you know, the, the airlines continue to, um, that experience continues to disappoint me. It's, it's been something for, for years. And maybe it's just because I'm, I'm too tight to pay for first class, um, too much of a tightwad. I, I don't know. But um, even when I have, I, I, you know, I, I'm not overly impressed. And I, I don't know, I often ask myself, because being in the financial industry here, why is it so hard to create a, a good experience um, and one that just exceeds expectations? And, when, and in this case, we were, I was coming back um, to, uh, I was coming back to Seattle and we were, we were in the, loaded the plane, they load the plane, um, and then we get on and, and there, suddenly we're not going anywhere. And we're all sitting in uh, in, the, in the plane, and it's an announcement. Eventually, comes that we're waiting on a United Airlines employee um, to to get on the get on the on the flight, who was delayed. You know, and I thought the announcement was something too. Well, there's a bus that he's on or whatever. So I thought, well, maybe it's one of the guys that's going to be flying the plane or actually doing something on the plane, because I know they'd never wait for me. That's you for know, sure. Like if it was just, hey, I'm gonna, I need to, I need to get on my, I, I've, they're very, they're pretty, pretty uptight about that. Like, you know, if you're, if you late, you miss a flight. Nobody's going, hey, Ken's on a bus. I don't think I could call and be like, hey, I'm, I'm on my way. <laughs> hold, hold, it, the, hold, hold it for yeah, me. Hold the flight. I'm almost there. But, I, you know, and so this guy shows up, and we wind up taking off about 45 minutes late, um, and. They, I like how they keep you on the plane. I'm not really sure what the rules are about that, but when they do have these delays over my history, and I've flown quite a bit for work and things, and um, you know, they keep you on. They they try to keep you on the plane um, instead of go. Hey, we're going to be 45 minutes late. If you want to get off, get off or whatever. Uh, it, but you're already in in very uncomfortable for a guy of my size, six foot. I don't know. <laughs> 195 pounds. On a good uh, day. Pretty muscular. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I try to eat right. But this is a different story, Ethan. <laughs> you and I are pretty big guys. I mean, yeah, it, six, those one, seats six, are not luxurious. Like <laughs> They're not luxurious seats. There's not a lot of room uh, in those seats. No, no. And inevitably, I I tend to get someone next to me that... It's never comfortable. Is not... Is also not an, uh, an incredibly petite individual. Right. So you're already kind of uncomfortable. Um, for whatever reason, the way they run the, the overhead bins has everybody tense because nobody wants to pay to, you know, to carry a bag on anymore. Right. So you're fighting for overhead space, and people are paranoid about that. And you know, I've kind of surrendered, like, hey, I don't care. You know, if I, I'll check the bag if I don't, if I have to, or whatever. And I just had them put the little tag on it so they could gate check it, which later turned into a, a big nightmare trying to get off the plane. But I can't understand why they can't figure that out and say, hey, everybody gets one piece of overhead bin space. It's yours. What, what's with this, like, six of us fighting over the same overhead? Like, how, how do you set up a system like that? Or or nobody should get it. You know what I mean? I paid I pay a lot of money for the ticket, but... Some guy in in the row ten back puts his thing in your space. Yeah, it happens and if all the time. Get on, yeah, right. Yep. How ridiculously frustrating and an awful 
customer experience is that where you're te- you you don't want to be tense when you're, tra- you're traveling most of us as we'll talk about in our segment about risk today mm-hmm. are a little bit tense about flying anyway on even though we shouldn't be right because it's more about the the thought of of the plane going down um, you're tense about getting to where you're going to be getting and and have I packed all my stuff and now I'm leaving my my family or friends or whoever you don't need more aggravation and I I don't I mean I've got a whole list I could I would rebuild the whole airline industry um, <laughs> you know and and just because somebody will suffer to save five or ten or twenty or a hundred dollars on a flight it's become this thing where because no one wants to pay you know for the ticket we can herd them in like cattle and treat them like you know like animals right is how i feel it's like what so so what happened with the guy oh, why, why okay. was he late? Why, why was this guy late what, what was his was he like pilot of the plane or something so he, no the guy gets on the eventually 45 minutes later the guy gets on the plane he's just he's just an employee um and he's wearing a white shirt i'm assuming <laughs> that said you you know and he sits down he's not part of the crew he doesn't do any work during the during the flight I'm assuming he's just a guy, guy that was an employee that was catching a flight. Maybe he's there. I know they let something. those guys fly. Maybe, but they don't normally wear overt Are, suits, right? Nor do they <laughs> announce it. <laughs> and I would think he would get there early. I, I don't know. So the announcement was just like, okay, well, you know, I'm expecting some deep apology here. You know, like, hey, we're sorry. And by the way, we'd never do this for you. <laughs> right. I, the guy's just like, okay, well, hey, we're... We're now delayed, we're and it was so. The, then he changed the story. It was like, well, there was some paperwork. It wasn't the guy who got on's fault, is what he said. Mm. Um, left me. It was very un, with an unsavory yeah. taste. But I often like you take off late, or or when they make mistakes, or they, you know, screw you up. Um, I'm I'm never really happy with with I. You know, it's kind of like the the uh, Seinfeld where George is like, hey, I think I got to get the apology, the episode. When the guy's going through the 12-step uh, program there, and he's like, hey, I didn't get my apology. I feel like i got to get the apology once in a while. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. You hear about you know certain airlines being so great and everything, and it's like maybe um, in our generation here we're just spoiled. Like I'll bet when, when commercial flights started, success and an, and an exceptional customer service experience was getting there alive. And so if you got there and you survived, you're probably dancing in the aisle. Pretty happy about that. Yeah, maybe that. I'm spoiled because I assume we're going to get there safely. Um, It's everything else that goes on in between. Yeah, I had the flight Um, leave reasonably on time. That sounds, you know, they schedule it. They can figure out when it's going to take off and when it's going to land, right? Even, you know, the way they they load the planes. the, the whole There's a a whole list of things we don't have to get into. But how were your flights? You went to Alaska. Yeah, well, uh, mostly it was good. Went from uh, Seattle to Fairbanks and spent the night there. Uh, that flight went off without a hitch. Um, spent one day in Fairbanks and then took a real small, small plane from Fairbanks to, to Anchorage. I think one of you, one of your clients, right? Well, actually, this this one from Fairbanks to Anchorage was just a a, a normal flight, um, except that it was a very small plane and probably had about 15 people, is my my guess total in the whole thing, and it was full. So it's one of the, it's a real small aircraft. I don't know what exactly what it was called, but uh, it had the propellers and stuff on it, like like the old school. You know, it wasn't a jet or anything. Oh, I see. But that flight went off very well, no problems. Um, that next uh, day, though, uh, one of my 
the clients who I was visiting up in Alaska, in Anchorage, invited me to, he's a pilot. He's been flying since he was 17, if you can believe that. Wow. So he's now 73, and so he's been flying for his whole life. And he has a couple of uh, little planes, and he asked me to, if I wanted to go up in one, and uh, give, he'd take me a little tour around Anchorage and visit some of the, the rivers and the, the lakes and the mountains and some glaciers and stuff. So that was pretty neat. This is almost like that. Except, uh, except it was, his was a propeller plane as well. It was a bonanza, the, the, the type of plane it was. It's a bonanza built in, I don't know, it probably was a 25-year-old plane, but he's, he's had it for a long period of time. Wow. And uh, I was really excited because I'd never been up uh, in a, well, that's not exactly true. One time before, I'd been up in a little plane like that. Um, and I didn't really like it because it was kind of windy and I was getting bad all around. And if you're in a small aircraft, the, the wind really kind of wreaks havoc on um, the motion of the plane. But it was perfect flying conditions, and we went up to... Um, it was Eagle River, Eagle, Eagle Lake, and uh, Eagle Glacier. Wow. And about halfway through the flight, I started getting real sick. Well, Naturally. Of course. And uh, my previous experience in Alaska, we went fishing one time out the sewer. And I love the sound effects. And I got real sick there, too. So I think I have this thing with motion sickness or something. Maybe it was altitude sickness, but that part wasn't very enjoyable. But uh, we took off from Anchorage, landed about an hour and a half later, and... Uh, it was a very nice view. I got a little video of it, which I haven't shared with the office yet. But oh, no way. Maybe later today we'll go over that. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah it was pretty good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just was thinking, because we're talking about flying and, and the frustration. We'll, we'll end this topic and move on to our next segment. I don't see where the clock went, but, oh, here we go. Um, well, well, it looks like we're going to need to take a break here shortly. Uh, <laughs> but there was a fight on a plane recently. Um which was kind of funny based on the, the growing frustration, I think. Let's take a quick break, All right. and we'll get into the real part of the show when <laughs> Coming we get up. back. We're going to talk about your money and your brain um, and how we perceive risks in the, in the market and investing. We'll be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter L. Mosca provides those of you eager to invest well in real estate with the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus is to help you maximize your real estate investment dollars. Listen live to the brightest minds in investment real estate every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter L. Mosca, where America learns to invest. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Again, if you want to contact us, 1-800-923-4307 or contact at empiradio.com. Please email us or call us with any financial-related question or issue that you are dealing with. We want to hear about it and we want to talk about it on the air because likely if it's on your mind, other people have the same issue and we'd love to help out. So. I've given examples uh, over the show, but maybe you're thinking about making a purchase, making an investment. Uh, Maybe it's stocks, bonds, real estate, insurance, anything. Ethan? Or if you want to log an airline complaint. You want to log? We're currently taking calls on that front as well. (laughs) Well, you know, I I have had uh, about 15 years here of of backlog of frustration, so I I do appreciate everyone's patience in letting me (laughs) express that frustration and going into the break, and I promise Ethan we'll... We'll talk about this uh, a fight news, which it's not really financially related, other than I think there's the, the maybe explains why most of the airlines over the long term have not been profitable ventures. <laughs> Could be I don't know, <laughs> um, but uh, there was <laughs> June first. It was June first, so it's not necessarily uh, breaking news, but. This air rage fight over the reclining seats, which was on a United Airlines flight. And um, it looks like someone put their seat down and the other person was a little tweaked. And um, they wound up getting into a fist fight. And uh, what I thought was interesting is they turned the plane around. I was going to Ghana, actually, out of Washington, D.C. And they turned the plane around and uh, they had F-16 fighter jets escort the plane back. Because they were, that's how sensitive we are with the terrorism. That's a big deal. Uh, concerns, right? And then it said they had to dump 50, um, cost them about $50,000 worth of just the fuel dumped. Yeah, the jet fuel in there. And uh, Simon was saying, what do, you, what do you mean dump fuel? You were saying. Well, yeah, right, normally so, uh, as a, a safety precaution, uh, yeah. there's emergencies in planes. If they're going to go in for a landing or something, they'll dump the fuel because of a crash. They'd obviously blow up, right? It'd probably kill everybody. So how do they dump it? Where do they? Is someone? I think it goes in the ocean usually. Oh, that's great. I know it ain't great, but that's how it works. <laughs> the same thing is true like an aircraft carries, wow. right? You got, you got. I think uh, I remember my buddy um, used to be in the navy. You know, you know Scott Gordon, right? Yeah, Scotty uh, G. That's right. He's over in uh, Italy right now. But anyway, uh, he was in the navy for a couple of years, and he worked on an aircraft carrier. And he was telling me that as the planes come in for landings, they got to dump their fuel because if they crash, yeah, it could blow up the whole thing, right, or a big chunk of it. So they dump the re- residual fuel in the ocean. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think they keep making the seats smaller and smaller. It's a powder keg on these uh, on these on these planes. You know, that's exactly the right. experience. And maybe some fresh air once in a while would be nice. You know, pump that in. 
oxygen tanks yeah, for everyone? I keep on smelling. I smell the jet fuel in the cabin all the time. It feels right. like. And and maybe they separate, you know, like the little kids and the family and put them in the back section or the front section. But, but just one section. Yeah. And like I said, reserve one bag area for each person. So I don't have to sweat it about whether or not I'm going to have a place to put my bag. Yeah, you know, they have that thing where you have the uh, your personal item, right? Right. Like you, like your purse, your purse, you can bring a purse for yourself and then your your carry-on item. Like Isaac Simon. Right. Uh, so yeah, you actually have two. And I, I know a lot of times they're, they're, the personal items are huge. It's a carry-on. It's, it's, uh-huh. a, it's a carry-on, plus it's a oh, huge... Oh, right. You know what I mean? People bring on That's those the huge issue, bags, right? Because you only get one, yeah. per, one, one... Oh, yeah. If you only get one bag, then there'd be no problem. They certainly don't enforce the size restrictions, it, it appears, on some of the stuff that people are, are bringing in. Okay, well, let's get let's get back to uh, financial-related topics. All right, um, Ethan. Today, I, I, you know, we were just talking about uh, the market, you know, and how we had a very long run-up from the bottom, March two thousand nine. No doubt. Um, and now we're we're experiencing some data that's coming out that's questioning whether or not the recovery is on solid footing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, in you know, recent weeks here, the markets. I think for the for the month of uh, June, we're having a tough, pretty tough go at it. Um, and I was thinking, you know, that a lot of people are constantly making predictions and and trying to uh, grip with with their fears. Yes. Um, and and I thought, well, I read a book a few years back, which I thought is good. I've read lots of material. We haven't talked about it on the show in a while about um, neuroeconomics or this behavioral economics or behavioral finance or the psychology of investing Mm -hmm. and all these interchangeable terms. And really it's about how our brain uh, functions and you have a, you know, the reflective and reflexive side, you have the logic and the emotional side and how we as individuals, I'm fascinated um, whether it's fistfights on the plane because somebody reclined the seat Mm -hmm. or investing our life savings, how we all make decisions about, uh, you know, how we make decisions primarily about how, you know, my context, how we're doing it with regard to financial decisions. And so we've, we talk about it all the time, how, you know, somebody will, will abandon a very sound strategy because they get a report from somewhere that has virtually no credibility, no track record, but it perks their emotional um, yeah, or even if it's just a, a news statement in the news, or maybe it's uh, on TV or you know, a little article today about factory orders being down or whatever, little stuff like that. Well, really, it's a data point. It, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't doesn't paint the whole picture, though, right? That's right. And we tend to see, read things into it uh, rather than things that they may or may not actually exist, right? Right. And and I was looking at you know investor sentiment. There's a uh, we we interviewed the f- the founder actually of this organization, um, the uh, um, AAI, uh, what is it, the American Investors Association. And they have, um, yeah, the AAI. They, they do American Association of, Association of Individual Investors, and they have a sentiment of their subscribers. Mm-hmm. And it's currently at, all, at, at a, the low point um, where um, the bullish sentiment is on their level here, about 25, and I think it was... Thirty-nine percent or so are bearish right now. Thirty um, some percent are uh, are neutral, and the difference are bullish. Mm-hmm. Um, but those 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 sentiment um, 
if you look at that relative to the stock market over longer periods of time, very poor indicators of future stock market returns. I think you're right about uh, that. Just to get that right out right now. And the book, you know, Ethan, I, I, th I thought I'd uh, highlight a little chapter of this book that, that I read, and I picked it back up because I wanted to kind of do a refresher. Uh, it's called Your, Your Money and Your Brain, Jason Zweig. Uh, he's been a, a writer for a long time. Um, and it's called How the New Science of Neuroeconomics Can Help Make You Rich was the name of the, of the book. But it was published in 2007. Mm -hmm. And there's a chapter in here on fear. Uh, and I like the quote that he puts in the, in the section, neither a man nor a crowd nor a nation can be trusted to act humanely or think sanely under the influence of a great fear. To conquer fear is the beginning of wisdom, Bertrand Russell. And, uh, you know, he starts with a few questions in this chapter, and I'll try to paraphrase some of this. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not an audio uh, book series. Auto recording. But, uh, you know, you might ask, he asks a few questions, and he says, which is riskier, nuclear reactors or sunlight? Uh, which animal is responsible for the greatest number of deaths in the U.S.? Is it the alligator? Bear, deer, shark, snake. Field mouse? No, that's not there. Oh. Uh, match the causes of death with the number of annual fatalities worldwide. And so he lists, you know, war, suicide, or homicide, and then various numbers into the ranging from 300,000 to 800 and some thousand. And, uh, you know, ultimately, now if you're listening, asking yourself those questions and trying to formulate an answer, and you've probably been tipped a little here, you know, that we're, if I just asked you these questions cold off the street, right? you probably would ha get more, a more pure response to these things. But if you're honest with yourself, uh, most people think that would think, well, nuclear reactors are riskier. Um, and we just had a situation in Japan. Right. But in terms of measured fatalities, the most uh, dangerous accident was uh, Chernobyl, 1986. And less than 100 people actually died directly from that accident. But the fear generated that they, you know, it was estimated that thousands, uh, tens of thousands of people would, would be killed uh, by the radiation poisoning. And he goes on to talk about the fact that the real danger uh, and the real consequence was the fear that that accident drove. And what it did was, uh, you know, he, he mentions in here that hundreds of 100,000 unnecessary abortions by expectant mothers wow. who were just so af afraid that their, their kids would have birth defects mm -hmm. um, that they, they had a, you know, the, these abortions, which were not the general reasons for having it. It was specific to that accident. Mm -hmm. And the unemployment, uh, you know, there was anxiety, there was depression, there was alcoholism. Suicide ran rampant among the uh, residents who, who couldn't afford to leave the area. And um, is the clock keep? Oh, it's way up there. Um, I think we got so, one more minute. Okay, so you you had a you had the the, the real um, the real implication or the real danger was the fear that 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 ex the fear of that accident. Now sunlight causes cancer. You, you had eight thousand people every single year being killed by skin cancer. So we're talking about a hundred people in a, in a single ac you know accident. Yeah, direct cause. Right. Mm -hmm. 8,000 a year, every single year, but yet most of us are less afraid of getting skin cancer. Right. Although I do 
lotion up as you when should I, when I head out for a day on the beach. But I was watching a show yesterday. They were talking about UV and UV, UVB and UVA or whatever, and the new labeling that'll be coming on the the uh, sunblock. Because I guess just the UV, the standard isn't actually stop the cancer causing cells or whatever. Oh. But they were saying forty percent of people still aren't using sunblock, which I think is pretty amazing. Wow, a, a testament to what we're talking about here. Let's take a break, and we'll come right back in on this on this discussion. We'll be right back. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, and we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. I'm your co-host, Ethan Broga, along with uh, regular host, Ken Smith. Um, having a broad discussion today about about risk and uh, our perception of risk. Uh, Long segment on uh, airlines as well, but (laughs) that's uh, beside the fact. If you'd like to get a hold of us, we'd love to hear from you. Um, As usual, you can reach us at 800-923-4307 or send an email to contact at empiradio.com. 
So, Cam, before the break, we were reading a little uh, clip from the book from uh, Jason Zawag. Um, and we had some things relative to, well, the Chernobyl accident prize an example. Uh, we're talking about fear. And, I, and what I want to spend the rest of the time, if you'll indulge me here. Um, hey, it's your show, buddy. Hey, you know, it's your show, too. All right. We're a team here. We work, we work together. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, what... What I want to get around to is is to to I'm going to give you the kind of the point of this is to illustrate how most of us do not make decisions that are are um, grounded in any kind of reality that we're making decisions a lot of times based on fears um, of risks that have very low probabilities um, and in other cases low consequences. Where, where, when we should be, while we're avoiding dealing with real risks that have real consequences, and and I'm focusing on this chapter. And I recommend you read the whole book. Mm-hmm. I, I think that every in, any every person who is willing to commit some time to uh, to making sure that they're making the best possible decisions with their finances uh, might want to take a look at. Hey, do I understand how I'm making and framing decisions? And if you're not willing to, it's just a resounding testament to get some a professional who meets the criteria that we talk about on the show, on our website, um, an advisor that is on your side, you know, that on the same side of the table. It's not selling products or random wild strategies, mm-hmm. but sound, grounded in sound, you know, principles. And get someone that's going to hold your feet to the fire so that you're not unknowingly making these bad decisions. Because the real difficulty, I think, and the reason why we see people doing the same thing over and over and over again, which is, as advisors, very frustrating to us, mm-hmm. jumping from one bubble to another, and, um, throwing wealth away, uh, is because we often don't actually realize or recognize what we're doing. We don't think that we're doing anything wrong. Clearly, yeah, um, right? must, must be the case. Otherwise, we'd experience a change of behavior. And a lot of times, when the when the bad results occur, we chalk it up to bad luck at the time, rather than something that we're engaging in, or that we should reexamine the framework or the process that we're making our decisions within. Yeah, or that the bad outcome was was based on my decisions. No, that's not true. It's no. just, just unlucky. No, or I got some bad advice, or right. If I would have followed my gut instinct, I would have had it right. How often have you heard that? You know, if I would have got out when I felt like getting out, I would have been great, you know. Right. You, you, that was true. Yeah. You may not have been invested for the last 20 years either, which obviously has bigger consequences. So let's let's jump back into this. Okay. We're, we're talking about, you know, in the book, we were talking about Chernobyl, how, how that uh, killed less than 100 people. But the fear of this nuclear reactor accident um, was far more damaging. And what it did to the crowd, you know, the, the public mm-hmm. um spawned off greater and more devastating consequences than the actual event did. Uh, and while we talk about the first question was, well, what's riskier, nu- um, nuclear reactors or sunlight? Sunlight killing 8,000 Americans a year with through skin cancer. And I was saying that I just saw on the report on this report on, the, on one of the network news mm-hmm. channels how they're changing the, uh, the disclosures on on, uh, as we head into the summer here, particularly this is pertinent, on, on sunscreen, but they were saying 30 or 40% of people still aren't even wearing it, aren't even putting it on. When wow. It's very, very clear the danger that's imposed there, but it's 
it's less uh, vivid um, than yeah, the, the thought of a nuclear reactor being put into your neighborhood or into your city, right? Sure. Well, the that, sun's obviously very yeah. familiar, right? Like, everybody has firsthand experience with the sun. We basically Except see it. Here in Seattle. <laughs> don't see it every day here, but <laughs> it is one of those things that we're all very aware of, right? So right. Therefore, therefore, we, in our minds anyway, I'm sure we, we somehow minimize the risk that it could pose, right? Relative to something like a nuclear, which sounds terrible, and is terrible when they happen, accidents. You know? So we talk about uh, the next item was which animal, alligator, bear, deer, and all that, um, is is more more dangerous. Well, you know, deers kill uh, more people, um, actually seven times more, he says here, than all of the other animals combined. So the, the bear, the alligator, the shark, the snakes, deer accidents, human fatalities as a result of deer, probably wow. running into them on the road, mm-hmm. um, is seven times that of all the other animals combined. Wow. It virtually, in our mind, put yourself, you, you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, that's you know, other than if you knew those traffic statistics, um, but just from a fear, I don't wake up at night going, "Oh, I'm the deer." But I, I certainly think about sharks. Yeah, sure. Because uh, they're constantly putting shows on <laughs> about sharks right. eating people. Yeah. Um, and it's a very vivid and gruesome thought of dying by being eaten by a shark. Sure it is, and you always hear about them, right? I mean, when they do occur, you're like, it's on the news, right? and so you you hear about a, you know a bear eating somebody or a shark, eat, you know, taking a bite of somebody or whatever. Those are very when they happen, you hear about it, but you don't hear about it at all because it's far more common, it sounds like, uh, with the deer. Yeah, that's right. Um, Ooh. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, so the other thing was, the question was about war, suicide, or homicide. Um, a lot of people have this very vivid image of war. Sure. And the massive numbers of people being killed and slaughtered and uh and homicide is is the thought of being shot or or you know it's very scary and and uh, horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, suicide is killed kills far more people than than war, um, and far more people than homicide. Uh, homicide was yeah, let me see what we if I have the data on this, but um, here it is. Uh, most people think war takes more lives than homicide, uh, which they believe kills more people than suicide. In fact, war kills fewer people than conventional homicides, and the number of people who take their lives uh, is almost twice the number of those who are who are murdered. Wow! Uh, in that, and that's a st- and that's a st- statistic. Um, and we talk about air. We were talking about airlines uh, along that line. Um, far more people are, are afraid of dying in an airplane crash and not only just afraid but they're fearful uh where less most of us are very comfortable driving hopping into the car sure um and he illustrates many people have no problem taking a few drinks right then hopping in the car and using their cell phone mm-hmm. and uh smoking a cigarette in the other hand um yet the odds of of, of dying in a, in a plane crash are six million to one um much, much less than, uh, you know, there's 24 people that died in 2003 on a commercial aircraft, 42,000 killed in car accidents. And when we had the terrorist attack, when September 11th happened, mm-hmm. um, floods of people were, were fearful of flying. And so driving increased, which which caused about an additional, they estimate about 1,000 deaths. Oh, is that right? Uh, yeah, wow. uh, by being on the roadway, uh, 1,500 
extra deaths and car crashes. I did not know that. And it, it, so if we if we kind of come forward here, and again, I'd read the book. I, I'm trying to give you the paraphrase here. Um, the the psychologist, there's Nobel Prize winner Dan Kahneman, and he talks about a uh, another psychologist, Paul Slavic, from the University of Oregon. And Paul talks about the fact that you know our, our intuitive sense of risk is driven up or down uh, by dread and knowability. And so these two factors, uh, he explains, infuse risk with feelings. And um, what that means is that dread is, is how vivid or controllable or potentially catastrophic a risk seems to be. People consider handguns a bigger risk than smoking uh, because we can choose not to smoke. Um, the hazards of smoking seem to be under our control. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's there's not much you can do to prevent someone from pulling out a gun and shooting you, right? Uh, so, oddly enough, that gives us the feeling that that handguns are, are are a greater risk, even though smoking clearly kills far more people. Right. Um, and no ability of a risk. Uh, you know, this depends on how immediate, specific, or certain the consequences appear. Uh, so, if it's fast. Fast and finite dangers like fireworks, skydiving, train crashes, they feel more knowable and less worrisome than vague, open-ended risks like genetically modified foods or global warming. Americans rate tornadoes as you know, a much more frequent killer than asthma, even though asthma kills more people than tornadoes. Wow. So the more, the more knowable um, and the less vague the risk is, then the more real that risk is and the more we are fearful of it uh, and the more we think that it occurs. So in this book at the time it was written, the sentiment let's kind of draw this into the investor world. The sentiment was that 50% of people thought the market would go down a, could go down a third in any one year. It wasn't a prediction about that any specific year. But on average people think that. Well in actuality it's about 2% of the time. The fact that, that that risk is very out there, particularly when we've gone through two pretty tough market downturns in the last 11 years, um, then going back to, you'd have to go back to the depression. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems very real, very knowable, very easy to go, hey, I'm gonna get, I could get wiped out here, where something like inflation, which is actually far more dangerous to an investor's portfolio, uh, gets downplayed or virtually ignored. Ignored, right, exactly. We've got to take a break, unfortunately, right at the crescendo of our talk here. We'll come back in. We'll try to regenerate this electricity that Ethan's exuding <laughs> right next to me. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. 
Alrighty then, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. We want you to become an empirical investor because being an empirical investor means you will make smarter financial decisions. And we're talking about fear today, Ethan. Yep. Uh, we're talking about how our brain makes decisions. There's the emotional um, and the and the logical side of our brain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's evolved over thousands and thousands. Oh boy. Thousands and thousands of years. And uh, sorry, we just lost some sound in the headsets here, but yep. we're okay. And, um, you know, being an empirical investor helps you to separate those emotions um, from your rational decision making process. And uh, we were talking about, even in the, in the book, Jason Zweig's book, uh, Your Money and Your Brain. Mm-hmm. Um, within the fear section now, I think we've established very well how we have a tendency to focus on risks that are very vivid to us, um, like a plane crash, for example, and downplay risks that um, we think um, we have control of and, uh, and or are very vague and we don't understand. So the examples are smoking. You know, although it kills far more people, Mm-hmm. Um, right and other risks uh, because we think we can stop or we have control over that risk even if we're our smoker we think we downplay that risk relative to being shot um, by a handgun you know, right over somebody that that that's very risky to us so in the investment world there's a couple of parallels we want to draw um, and we were saying the investor sentiment right is that people think that the the stock market will decline far more than the, the the actual odds show, the actual probability show. But yet they downplay or in many cases virtually ignore the real and most dangerous risk, uh, barring you having an undiversified portfolio, right? If you own one stock, we, we always talk about that. That's that's a very, very bad risk, but a broadly diversified global portfolio yeah. relative to inflation, that the risks of that portfolio, the volatility there, over time, uh, with time, will be overcome and give you the best probability, some combination, depending on where you're at in life, most likely will give you the best probability of being successful and reaching your goals. Mm-hmm. Um, we're ignoring the risks of inflation um, can virtually devastate your portfolio. It's just going to do it uh, over us, you know, like smoking. It, it takes a while, but eventually you do it long enough, it's going to get you. Right relative to something that happens very quick and devastating like a plane crash. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at the, the market sentiment thing. I'm, I'm highly confident back in 2009, of March 2009, the market sentiment was terrible, <laughs> you know, near the low point of the recent market low. Um, people who made decisions exclusively on their, their feelings about the market and the fear for going lower didn't, didn't participate nearly as well as those who, who stuck with a disciplined strategy, right? Right. I mean, if you, if you listen to your... Your gut in, in March 2009, just to pull out of stocks altogether, you likely missed out on an enormous recovery. And it happened in an unexpected time. That's right. So scientists, Ethan, they they have categorized a part of the brain. It's a small um, mm. almond-shaped knob of tissue called the amygdala. And in this, it's where when we confront risk, it's the this the part of the brain in the reflexive side, which is that emotional side of the brain, mm-hmm. that acts as an alarm system. So 
um, you know, it's very hot, fast emotions like fear and anger that shoot through the brain to the reflective side, side that gives us warnings. Um, and so basically if, if you saw something dangerous, like you step near a, a snake or a spider, it's that amygdala that will jolt you into taking action very quickly. So much so that, you know, he talks about studies that psychologists have done where they're showing pictures um, at one thirty-third of a second or one um, flashed for 33 one thousandths of a second. Um, and yet that that affects our, our mood and our, our, our decision making. And when we convert that into what goes on in the financial world, because that's helped us evolve over years and survive, being very quick to react to potential dangers. Um, and the the effect of seeing things and he describes, you know, when you when the market's down and you turn on CNBC or you pop open your, your news on your browser and you they tend to show you these very vivid images of some uh, there's noises there's chaos on the exchange you hear the background noise you see people's faces the pictures they show in the in the newspaper or on these are somebody that's upset on a day that the market goes down Mm -hmm. and the faster that 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 occurs if the market's down significantly like in october 1987 uh we have 23 percent drop in one day the the more that that amygdala gets triggered and where it can be dangerous is it can cause us to take actions um, based on that reflexive reaction. It can cause us to want to sell our stock. Right. Uh, and just turning on the TV and seeing the market before we really even know what the consequences are to our portfolio, mm-hmm. what we've, what kind of loss we've even experienced, how that's done. You know, many times we've, as we've gone through downturns, it's, if you think about this most recent downturn, if you had been invested for a few years prior to the uh, tip of the market in 2007 before it started to decline. You did you did pretty well. You know we're running numbers from the peak to the very bottom and saying, well, where are we now? Well, geez, and some of these portfolios were fully recovered and and then some, right? Yeah, the vast majority. But if you had just been invested for a few years prior to that, the 2003 uh, through 2007 were a phenomenal time for our globally diversified. Uh, premium targeted premium portfolios that we build for our clients mm-hmm. phenomenal stuff 19 percent a year i think on our average equity portfolio um, even going through the downturn you've done quite well but if you're only living in that one moment and seeing that market decline very quickly before you've really even had a chance to assess well wait a minute i've done even with this downturn i've done better than long-term averages have i'm still doing quite well towards my financial goals and progress and this market will recover. If you don't give yourself that time to have that rational discussion, um, because you're locked in on the on the TV screen or the newspaper news, which they know that. I mean, I, I got to believe that the purveyors of this information know what triggers us and what gets us locked in. Um, I'm confident of that. They do everything possible. Yeah. And we're going to have some skits on the show uh, to try to draw out. Have some ideas. All right, how ridiculous some of the stuff is, <laughs> but it can cause you to, and it did for three years. People after subsequent to the market decline, um, back in '97, that that it, ca- it caused them to make very poor decisions. Money was pouring out of equities when the market actually recovered very quickly back then. Yep. Um, then went on to, you know, have one of the greatest bull markets 
in history. Yeah, you mean 87, right? Um, right, Yeah, from 87 mm-hmm. going forward. And if you had been shaken out of the market because of that very traumatic emotional, yep. if you let yourself be drawn in and guided by, by that emotional side, mm-hmm. a very, very, very poor um, subsequent outcome for you. And so you have to understand that, you know, that there, there are components in our brains um, that in certain situations are very good yeah. Right. Well, in other situations, particularly in that of financial decision-making setting, they're very dangerous. So, Ethan, we're out of time. All right. I, I, I've given it all. I'm spent. Great work. <laughs> but uh, all kidding aside, thank you for tuning in, and uh, we'll, we'll have more discussion next week. Always looking for ways and ideas to share with you to make better financial decisions. Thank you, and have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.